Broadcasting from the Cradle of Liberty in Philadelphia. All the way to the rhythm and blues of Beale Street in Memphis. To high atop the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. This is where politically correct perception meets common sense. This is the Joe Carey Show. Hey, welcome to the Joe Carey Show right here on K Talk 1640 AM, KYAH, and coast to coast on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Thank you for uh, tuning in and listening to the show. A big show today. Jonathan Johnson uh, will be joining us at the bottom of the hour at 1230 uh, Mountain Standard Time. He's going to answer all our questions about uh, Facebook, uh, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and privacy. And the great thing is, well, you know, we'll wrap it up in 12 minutes. All those questions you may have just take 12. No. So we'll, we'll spend some time with Jonathan. He's going to answer those questions and uh, really help us understand because, look, this just isn't Facebook. Right? You have countries and corporations all thinking, you know, hey, we're just going to create our own currency. Fascinating uh, concept. So we'll talk about that. But the big story, uh, the lead story today is um, – Donald Trump, is he a warmonger or dove? And uh, you've probably heard about this. I want to share my take on it. So uh, the New York Times yesterday runs a story. And this, the, the initial story, I think uh, probably around 7 o'clock Eastern time last night. So, you know, the Iranians, they shoot down a drone. And it seems the thing uh, the Iranians and us can agree on is that, yes, Iran did shoot a drone out of the uh, sky. The exact location, was it over their airspace? Was it international? That's in dispute. The type of drone is in dispute. The Iranians say, hey, we had a choice. We could either shoot down a plane with 35 Americans on board or a drone. They said we opted to shoot down the drone. And I think they probably, you know, if you had a choice between killing 35 Americans and an unmanned drone... Yeah, you probably made the right choice. The New York Times then comes out with a story that says that Donald Trump had given the order to launch an attack and then rescinded the order. And that's that was the gist of the article that came out. But the last sentence of the article is what I want to focus on. Right. The article says, you know, all this back and forth was happening. Trump wanted military options presented. The military came with several different variations of an attack plan. Trump chose one. He green lit that order. And then within 10 minutes of the strike actually occurring. Donald Trump rescinds the order and says, no, call off the strike. Almost like a movie. But as you read this article, the very last sentence of the article notes, uh, the, the reporter notes, the one who broke the story says, uh, no one in the uh, Trump administration or uh, military put any restrictions on the publication of this story. Basically saying, look, you know, I was interviewing these people. They all told me this was the plan. They all told me that Trump greenlit the order, that within 10 minutes of it going live, Trump rescinded the order. And when I told the politicians and when I told the military I was going to publish this story, nobody objected. Nobody put a restriction on the New York Times' uh, ability to run the story. So to me, that doesn't strike me as a leak, right? A leak is generally what? Hey, let me tell you what's going to go down, but, uh, you know, 
keep my fingerprints off it, don't mention my name, don't... This was almost like a planted story by the administration. I think the, I think the administration wanted this story to get out. And the media, they were happy to run with it, because why? Why do you think mainstream media was happy to run with this story? Because it shows Trump as what? Oh, he's, he's a bumbler, right? Isn't that what uh, Chuck Schumer said? I don't want to bumble our way into a war. Isn't this the perfect example of that? You know, once Trump, he's, his finger's on the button. He actually pushed the button. We were going we to attack. And then 10 minutes before, you know, the launch is supposed to happen, ah, Trump just changes his mind. And I think the media at first loved this story because it goes into that narrative of, you know, the administration, the White House, it's chaotic. It's no one knows what's happening. There's there's no decisiveness. But I think as the story came out, Trump comes out with what a three a three tweet uh, position paper on Twitter. It's amazing, right? There's no press conference. There's Trump not standing in the Rose Garden or in the Oval Office. He's sending out tweets. Think about that. And he sends out these tweets and he says, look, let me tell you. Yeah, the, the, believe it or not, this is a true story. In his tweets, Trump says we were cocked and loaded to retaliate last night. He said, I greenlit the effort to hit three different facilities in Iran. And preparations were being made. Ships were getting into position. Planes were being launched. Intelligence being gathered. And then Trump said, I asked how many people were going to die. He said, I asked a general, how many people are estimated to die? If we go forward with this strike. And the general response was 150 people would be killed. As a result of these strikes. And Trump said when he heard this. He made the decision to call off the strike. Because he said, you know, an unmanned drone. Yes, it's 135 million dollars, but. Shooting down an unmanned drone and the uncertainty surrounding that, right? Because we're still not sure how it got shot down. Was it a mistake? Was it somebody with an itchy finger on their side? But Trump said, you know, shooting down an unmanned drone, killing 150 people in response to that is not a proportional response. And he called off the strike. So all the Democrats who spent most of yesterday arguing Trump's aching to go to war, Trump's going to get us involved in a war, Trump doesn't think these through. That day of narrative just collapsed because what Trump is saying is, no, look, I made a decision. You know, and you can't hit the United States. But then he said, you know what? Our response has to be proportionate. And the loss of one spy drone... It's not balanced out by, by taking the lives of 150, of 150 Iranians. 
So I want to hear from you. Is that do you support that decision? Do you think that's what happened? Do you do you see something else behind the scenes that happened between Trump saying, hey, let's hit him. And then Trump pulling back and saying, you know what? It's not worth it. I mean, part of me wants to believe that that part of this process, this decision-making process to actually launch the missiles would include that estimate built into it, right? That, hey, Mr. Trump, you know, we're going to hit these three facilities. This is the uh, projected death toll. Like, I would like to think that's, you know, part of the, the intel that's given. The way it was presented by the president, it seems like, well, the, the first decision is, hey, are we going to hit? What are we going to hit? Why are we going to hit it? And then almost as an afterthought, it's, well, how many people are, you know, how many people are going to die as a result of this? 801-331-8113, 801-331-8113. What do you think? Do you think this was the right decision? Or do you think, you know, the Iranians shot down a U.S. Navy drone? Should that require us to retaliate? And if so, how? Do you think President Trump made the right decision by saying, you know what, we're not going to hit them, at least not this way. So Trump didn't say we're not going to hit them. He just said 150 lives. That's not the way we're going to do it. But he certainly didn't take a uh, retaliation off the table. The White House today also confirmed that uh, Donald Trump overruled his advisors, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and John Bolton. You know, John Bolton seems like a little bit of a hothead. I heard one time uh, they didn't have a barbecue sauce at McDonald's and he wanted an airstrike. He seems to be a little aggressive. But Trump overruled that and said, you know what? We're not going to look at this. We're not going to, to, to retaliate in this way. When we come back, we'll go to your phone calls. Did Trump make the right decision? Also, in uh, the bottom of the hour, in about 15 minutes, Jonathan Johnson, he'll be on talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, privacy, and blockchain. A big day today. We'll get ready for the weekend. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this break. back to the Joe Carey Show right here on KTalk 1640 AM and uh, KYAH and the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Thank you for uh, tuning in. I want to, uh, uh, we'll go right to uh, your calls in, in a moment, but I just wanted to recap. So, you know, yesterday the left was saying Donald Trump's a warmonger. He's looking to provoke a fight. You know, uh, Chuck Schumer comes out and says, you know, this president's going to bumble our way into a war. Again, trying to, and it's sad. It's sad. I mean, you know, lives on both sides are at stake, and you would think for a minute these Democrats could leave politics at the door. And then the New York Times swoops in, and they think they have the scoop of the century, right? Oh, Donald Trump, look at the indecisive president. He ordered a strike, and then he backed out. 
Well, then it turns out it was, well, wait a second. Yeah, there's 150 people that are not going to wake up next to their kids or their wife or their spouse the next day. And the president was rightfully concerned about that. And I think that's okay to be concerned. I don't, I don't care what side of the, of, of the fight they're on. It's a life. So what do you think? Did the president of the United States, did Donald Trump make the right decision? 801-331-8113. Let's go to Ray, who has been uh, holding. Ray, go ahead, sir. You're on the air. Yes. I, you know, I think it's, it's typical that the Democrats, the Democrat leaders, are falling all over themselves with counter-contradiction. Um, because with me, when I heard it, my first response was, this shows President Trump's humanity. And maybe it will, you know, cause the, the Arab and Muslim world to step back and say, wait a minute, you know, there are Americans that, you know, are human beings. And we don't want to take life. You know, we want to be sure. In fact, in the modern-day scriptures, we're told that... Um, we really shouldn't go to war until after the third offense. Until and, after, and until so, after the, did you say after the third offense? Yes, the, not, not, yes, the third offense. That's correct. I, I think it's DNC 98 or 89. I forget which one. I'll have to look it up. But, well, Ray, I, I appreciate... I, 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 I appreciate yeah, the call, Ray. Thank you. You're, yeah, you're breaking up. It's, uh, it's a tough call. It sounds like you're actually calling from uh, the Persian Gulf. So uh, I appreciate the, uh, the phone call. But, yeah, it was just a bad connection. But look, so part of me is I'm torn on this because part of me thinks, hey, it's good. We should consider, you know, the, the human element, the human cost. But then part of me, I'm just baffled. You mean when the president's briefed on a strike? No one in that room thinks to ask, you know, at the onset, well, who's going to die? How many people are, how many lives are going to be taken? Because the way the story is playing out, it almost sounds like the decision was made and, and the human toll was not even discussed as part of that initial uh, back and forth, as part of that initial decision-making process. And then it sounds like, you know, the president was just, you know, inspired to go back to the general and say, well, how many lives is this going to cost? That part's just mind boggling. I would think that 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 all would there'd be a checklist almost. Right. OK, we're going to launch missiles. This is you know, this is what we need to consider. And if not at the top of that list, it's somewhere near the top, it would say. How many people are going to die on their side and our side? Isn't that part of the risk assessment that's done? That's why, like, this story just doesn't. Look, I, I think the right decision was made. You know, but Donald Trump can't get a buy just because I like, you know, the judges he's appointing to the bench. And it seems like this narrative, there's just something off about it. There's just something slightly off point, off kilter.
But this is evidence, right? It's evidence that the sanctions uh, and the the oversight that this administration is putting on Iran is working. I mean, Iran is feeling the bite. The Obama administration gave Iran $150 billion, and according to Trump, at $1.5 billion was in cash. Think about that. You want to know why there were pallets of cash? Well, $1.5 billion is not going to fit in a suitcase. $1.5 billion in cash. What did we get for that? See, the problem with paying off a bully is that you've just got to keep doing it in perpetuity. Right Next month, you've got to make that same payment. If the bully decides, you know what, that payment's going up, you've got to pay more money. But I don't think this is over. I, I don't think that this was, wow, we dodged that bullet. I think tensions are still very high. And I don't think Donald Trump has just given up on striking back. He just doesn't strike me as the type. I think Donald Trump is someone, you know, when you punch him, he's going to punch back three or four times as hard and probably three or four times more often. So it'll be interesting to see. We will continue to monitor uh, this story. We'll continue to monitor uh, these developments as uh, as they take place. The other thing that uh, I want to talk about um, that we're seeing taking place um, is on the Democratic side of the presidential race. You know, and look, nobody fights, you know, politically like a Democrat. I mean, they can name call, you go low, they'll go lower. And we said this was going to happen, that they are going to start eating uh, their young. They're going to start eating themselves alive. And we're watching it with Biden. Biden, you know, think about this. Biden came out and he he praised his relationship with some segregationists. How is it possible that the media wasn't aware of those relationships? Like the guy's been in the Senate for over 30 years He ran for president before. He was vice president for eight years. And you mean to tell me nobody in the media knew that Joe Biden had uh, segregationist friends? With Brett Kavanaugh, right, when he was going through his nomination to be on the Supreme Court, they found out about what high school parties he attended. Think about that. I actually thought, you know what, I wonder if the FBI, they could go into someone's life and say, you know, Joe, these were the high school parties that you were that you attended in high school. I mean, how do you even go about finding those things out? The FBI knew what parties Brett Kavanaugh attended. They knew that there was alcohol served at those parties. They even knew the location of where the alcohol was at the party. But they don't know that Joe Biden was running around with segregationists. They knew how Brett Kavanaugh arrived at the party. They knew how Brett Kavanaugh and his friends left the party. But the media can't figure out that Joe Biden had segregationist friends. How does that happen? 
it happens because the media doesn't care. If they're not taking down a conservative, forget about the Republican. I don't think they care about Republicans. If they're not taking down a conservative or a libertarian, they just don't care. Stay tuned. Jonathan Johnson will will be on with us. He's going to be discussing Facebook's new currency, crypto coin, uh, privacy, and blockchain. We'll have all of that ready for you to go uh, right after this commercial break. Thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the Joe Carey Show right here on K Talk, sixteen forty AM, broadcasting throughout Central Utah on KYAH and coast to coast on the Lo- Loving Liberty Radio Network. Thank you guys for tuning in. And for listening, as promised, um, Jonathan Johnson, uh, very busy. I I follow him on Facebook, and he's always posting from some different corner of the world. And uh, he is the president of Medici Ventures. Also, uh, I I believe, uh, the leading expert on uh, blockchain, uh, cryptocurrency. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about Facebook's new announcement of their cryptocurrency. So uh, please, Jonathan Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Joe, I love to talk to you. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, look, I'm glad that we're not in the same room. I'm calling in from Philadelphia. I don't know where you are today. But whenever you talk about blockchain, you are so smart and you start sharing things. And for about the first third of our conversation, I can like follow along. But then I just I, – I, I still don't think I understand what exactly a blockchain is. But it's my understanding that blockchain is the, the foundation for cryptocurrency. So I, I don't know the best – should we start with cryptocurrency or should we start with blockchain? You tell me. Well, let me – let's start this way. I think that cryptocurrency is the first killer app on blockchain technology, a lot like – Email was the first killer app on Internet technology. And uh, the Internet, which at one point long ago we called the information superhighway, allowed it so that we could transfer information freely and frictionlessly. Blockchain technology is going to allow us or does allow us to transfer digital assets freely and frictionlessly, and digital assets include cryptocurrency. Okay, now that that makes a lot of sense. I followed all of that. Usually I just nod at you like I understand, even though I don't fully understand. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I do understand what you just laid out. So let me ask you this. When we talk about cryptocurrency, I think everybody's mind goes towards Bitcoin, but apparently there are other variations of cryptocurrency currently in use. Yeah, so Bitcoin is the largest market cap cryptocurrency, but there are 
hundreds, if not over a thousand different cryptocurrencies that have popped up and some have disappeared. Uh, you know, the biggest ones that, that most people know about are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and I think the one that's most in the news today is Libra, this to-be-formed or to-be-issued cryptocurrency that's coming from Facebook. Okay, and Jonathan, before we go into Libra, there was a story that I read, I think it was a, a small Florida city, uh, where hackers got in, they, they locked out the administrators of the city from their own computers, right? So the city workers show up to go to work, they can't access their files because these hackers have uh, infiltrated it with malware, and the uh, hackers say, you know, you've got to transfer $600,000 in Bitcoin to us. How is it possible that we can't track that transfer? Like, how do the hackers receive that money and walk away from that transaction? Is that made possible through this blockchain technology? Well, first, they probably don't walk away from that uh, extortion. Several years ago, uh, 2014, I was uh, in an FBI office in Southern Manhattan on some business, and I, at the end of at the end of the meeting, I asked the federal agent. I said, "Tell me what you think about Bitcoin, because you know what I hear is that criminals love it, and it's not trackable, and they they uh, that's why it's their currency of choice." And this FBI agent said, "Oh." We love it when the criminals use Bitcoin because <laughs> it leaves a digital footprint that we can follow. We don't always know who it was at first, but we can follow it and we can figure it out. And in fact, at that point, the Department of Justice was one of the largest holders of Bitcoin, not because it had been buying Bitcoin, but because it had been seizing it from crooks. So, look, any form of currency, whether it's cash, credit cards, or crypto, uh, is going to be used by crooks. Crypto is, frankly, not a very good one because it leaves a digital footprint. And that makes sense. Okay, let's jump to Libra. So Facebook comes out and says, and I guess my first question would be, uh, with this, they, they're calling it a cryptocurrency. Why create your own? Why not just use? You said there were thousands of these uh, cryptocurrencies uh, out there. Why would Facebook come out and say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start our own? Well, I think there. It's a it's a good question, and it certainly needn't have created its own. But some of the reasons it probably chose to were uh, it's creating what's called a stable coin, a cryptocurrency that's backed by a basket of different uh, government-issued currencies, dollars, uh, RMB, uh, euro, whatever currencies Facebook decides, which means that the Libra cryptocurrency probably won't fluctuate a lot. It will, you know, kind of map the dollar or map whatever basket of, of currencies uh, that that Libra is tied to. Now, that's different than Bitcoin, which is not tied to anything and is worth what people will pay for it. Uh, 
two years ago, it you know got close to twenty thousand dollars. Then it dropped to one Bitcoin dropped to in the three thousand dollars, and today it's closer to ten thousand dollars. It's it's fairly volatile. I think Facebook wants a coin that is not going to be as volatile, so people will be more comfortable holding it, using it, spending it. So what is the advantage to Facebook, right? Facebook isn't doing this because they're a bunch of swell guys and they, they want to help the world. What is motivating Facebook to go out there and say, hey, we're going to create this Libra and we're going to make it available to our users? Another good question, and I can't pretend to be what's in in the minds of Mark Zuckerberg and his colleagues, but some of the reasons that I think Facebook would create this is uh, cryptocurrencies are cheaper to transfer from one person to another. And because you don't have a bank or other middlemen uh, that are in the middle taking a fee and adding time. And so, yeah, and so if Facebook wants to uh, have its customers transact with each other, with advertisers, uh, with those that are in the Facebook universe, this lets them do that, taking a bank out of the middle. So in part, I think it's a, viewed as a favor to people in the Facebook ecosystem. I also think from Facebook's perspective, uh, it gets people more tied to Facebook and its portfolio of companies like Instagram and WhatsApp and and. You know, the, the more people that have a Facebook portfolio application downloaded on their phone, the better that's got to be for Facebook. That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this. We have about uh, three minutes left. Uh, Jonathan, let me ask you this. What is the risk to the user of Facebook? I mean, if you buy something over Facebook, they already have a record of that. They already know what you're buying, If you, even if you're using currency. Is there any increased privacy risk uh, by buying into this Libra? Well, that's I think, Joe, that's still an unanswered question. Uh, you, know, you read the white paper, and it says that the Libra protocol does not link to accounts in a, of a real-world identity. But there's no question that if I'm making payments from my Facebook account to your Facebook account, that Facebook's going to be able to, to monitor that. And so how that works, uh, I don't know. Uh, my view is Facebook has a pretty good view into uh, my actions already. If, if I'm there and I'm surfing Facebook, it's, it's pretty clear by the ads it's serving up to me and the news that it's sending me, that it has a pretty good sense of who I am. I think this will probably give Facebook a little bit better sense, but I don't know that that little bit better is much different than the great sense it already has. And then that uh, that makes well, a lot of sense. But Jonathan, thank you so much for taking. I know you're super busy. Thank you for squeezing us in, and for just making plain uh, all that uh, that's been going on in that universe. Thank you very much. Let's do it again, Joe. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan Johnson, the um, president of uh, Mitchia Ventures. Thank you so much. We'll be back right after this break. 
Welcome back to the uh, Joe Kerry Show. You know, just want to thank Jonathan Johnson again. He, he truly is uh, always on the move. And for him to take that amount of time and to speak with us and break that down, uh, what a privilege. And just the nicest guy. I was talking to Brian uh, off air. Just genuinely nice. And uh, we need more people like that. So thank you, Jonathan, uh, for taking the time for joining us. Um, I want to talk about uh, two stories. Uh, in Alaska, there was a, a public meeting last night. And, uh, you know, at most public meetings, they, they, you know, return thanks. They ask for a blessing and guidance from, you know, God before they open the meeting, an invocation. And at this meeting, uh, it was opened uh, with an opening prayer to Satan. I said, well, you got to read that article, right? I mean, you see that headline. So uh, the Associated Press reports the prayer where a woman declared, Hail Satan, uh, was being given by a satanic temple uh, member who won the right to open the meeting with an invocation of her choice. And uh, then she went on and she talked about, you know, her prayer. And it's interesting because her prayer was a lot like, you know, a Christian prayer, except she was praying to Satan. Uh, once she started her prayer, it says that uh, about a dozen people got up and walked out of the room, about a do- including some of the uh, board members. Now, the reason I'm sharing this story is, one, it shows you how backwards our values are, right? That inclusion means what? We, we tolerate? We promote people praying to Satan? But the reason I bring up and share this story is I want, I want to share a prediction with you. And that prediction is going to be this, that, yes, she won the right to say the prayer. I am predicting that within three to five years, a court will rule that if you're a member of that body, you will not have the right to get up and leave. That you will be told by the court you have to sit there and listen to that prayer in its entirety. And I guarantee you that if it hasn't already been done, someone will be filing a lawsuit requiring members of these public boards to sit and listen. Because we talked about this when it comes to intolerance, right? Those who demand tolerance are awful taskmasters. And it's not going to be enough that they're allowed to say the prayer. It's going to be required that you have to sit there and you have to listen to it. So anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to share that. So I also wanted to share um, uh, Chris Cuomo. Uh, they call him the Lesser Cuomo, uh, to his father. He was uh, doing an interview with uh, Amy, is it Klobacher? Brian, what's her name? Is it Amy Klobacher? Oh, Brian doesn't know. She's running for president along with uh, 63,000 other people, but she was running for president. She is running for president. And uh, she was asked by uh, by the Lesser Cuomo, um, Hey, uh, why can't the Democrats get the same crowds as Donald Trump? The question was actually, uh, Chris Cuomo actually asked, why don't Democrats uh, pack stadiums the way this president does? 
Now, what do you think Amy Klobacher said to that? I know what she should have said. This was her response. Right? So Chris Cuomo, uh, and, uh, Chris Cuomo, uh, Cuomo asked, why don't Democrats pack stadiums the way this president does? Her response, oh, but we do. We just have a lot of stadiums we're packing at the same time. So did you follow that? So what she's saying is, well, there's so many of us running that if you added up everybody who attended our events, we would be able to fill a stadium like that. Now, (laughs) Cuomo couldn't respond. He was so dumbfounded. But you could see the expression on his face, which was basically, okay, she's a loon. She's alone. Does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe that the Democrats, if there was just one, that they would be packing? No, it was just like George Bush. Remember when George W. Bush ran for re-election? They would send him to conservative college towns. I remember because he came to uh, Provo, Utah. Because Obama was packing stadiums. Was it Obama? Who ran against George W. Bush for the second term? No, he didn't make it. But I remember they they would send him to these conservative college towns because they were like, look, you know, it's the only place we can find enough people to come out, right? Because you get all these college students that would show up for free. Because they wanted to give the impression that he had all this energy and all this excitement. Obama did it, right? Obama was able to pack these stadiums, and Trump's able to do it. But the Democrats can't. Right? Is, isn't this like a repeat of what happened in 2016, where Trump would crisscross the country, and everywhere he went, 10,000 people are coming out to hear him speak. In the rain, they're walking for three or four miles to get to the stadium to hear him speak. But all the polling was showing Hillary was going to win, right? All the polling showed what? Oh, Hillary's going to clean Trump's clock. And everybody was like, well, wait a second. If she's so far ahead in these polls and the polls are accurate, why are there 10,000 or 20,000 people coming out to hear Trump speak? You know what the pollsters told us? Well, the polls don't lie, right? We have the science. We've done the math. We have the algorithms. And what happened? The polls were wrong. Not just one, not just two. Almost universally, the big polls were wrong. On election night, do you remember what the New York Times was saying at the start of election day? 95% chance that Hillary Clinton becomes the next president of the United States. 95%. And as the election day went on, that little, t- that little clock, I have to laugh because I-, I just remember sitting there watching it go down. I was like, well, then it was 85%, then 80 then 75 then 60 And then it flipped, and then it was, oh, there's a 30% chance Donald Trump will be the next president. I was like, what? Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Stunning. 
But the reason I share that with you is that, you know, this is why people just don't trust our our elected leaders. Because Amy Klobacher could have just said, you know what, you know, we don't get the same crowd size. And one, it's because there's a lot more of us than him. But two, you know, and then go off and, and, and talk about the reason why. But to sit there and lie about it, to sit there and say, oh, well, we pack just as many. It doesn't do you any good. Like, politicians still have to learn that social media, social media is the great equalizer. And that's why, you know, I have some big concerns. There's a a, a movement among Republicans who are saying, you know, we're going to treat Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We're going to hold them accountable for their content. We have to be really cautious how we proceed down that road. Look, I get it. I, I get Facebook is biased. I get Instagram hates conservatives. And Twitter, you know, they, they silence you. They shadow ban you. I get it. But when your cure is worse than the disease, we have got to be careful. We really do. And I get it. I get the, the desire to say, hey, we've got to make this right. But you don't want to create the infrastructure, right? You don't want to create the pathway. So when the next, you know, future president is a Democrat and they're looking for control for completely different reasons, you don't want to prepare the groundwork or the framework to allow them to do that. It is Friday. Up next, we have Ralph DeLuga, Stranger Than Fiction. You need to tune in. You need to listen to it. It's one of my favorite shows on the network. You need to be here. A great show on the fusion of science, faith, and uh, just the strange. But uh, a great show, a great way to end your week. Have a great weekend. You're listening to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. We will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.